0: Hey, good morning. We are so excited about um, what God has been doing in our church. And last week was amazing. I pray that you really were impacted by the good news of Jesus. Just the good news, guys. I mean, can it ever get old that Jesus defeated death, right? That he stared death down and took the bullet that we deserved and came out the other side victorious and our king. Man, there's nothing greater. There's no better message there's no greater hope. It brings everything that we think about in life and and just to a, a better perspective that says, look, I know life is hard and I know there's death and there's disease and there's all the things that break our hearts, but there is good news. There is hope. And it's not just pie in the sky hope. It's real hope. Jesus really lived. He really died and he really rose again. And man, let's just do Easter all over again, right? Come on. That's good stuff. So in this week, as, as we kind of launch a new series called Roadblocks, we were thinking about everybody that took steps in their walk with Jesus. And we pray everybody did, no matter where you are on that journey, you took one more step in that journey with Jesus. But we were thinking about things that really maybe are tactics and schemes of the enemy to try to stop us in that journey, to stop us on that path that God has for us. And so we thought about this, this concept called roadblocks. Uh, things that you know just that are laid across the path that try to stop us from taking those steps, and you know you think about what a roadblock is, and, and, and I don't know like what where your commute takes you in Las Vegas, but I have lived here my entire life, and there's always roadblocks in this country, or in this city. In fact, I have no idea what they're doing to I ninety five. Like literally, I have no idea. Like the freeway was fine, and now they decided, you know what? Let's just 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 destroy it. You know, we'll start all over. Like, what are you guys doing? I'm sorry if you work for, the, for NDOT, I apologize. We just don't understand. Your ways are higher than our ways, right? We don't get why you're destroying the freeway over by Costco. Anyway, I'm not bitter. Okay, here's the thing. So these roadblocks that come along, right? They, they do, they, they make our path, uh, our, our commute longer. They, they, they make us take a detour. They slow us down on the freeway, whatever. And, and they're irritating, right? But, but those roadblocks, those detours, they're, they're far less... Uh, nefarious and far less, less um, really impacting in the greater scheme of things than are the roadblocks of our, of our life. The things that kind of get laid across our path, uh, these, are, these are things, these are ideas that we believe. These are thoughts that we think. These are cycles that, we're, that we get stuck in. These are, these are things that we just think about ourselves and our future. These are things that just really kind of make, make, make life just hard. Unnecessarily difficult, and I want to kind of talk about that in these in the next few weeks as we kind of go through different specific areas. Um, and I want to share just one kind of as an example to start with. Uh, I don't know kind of where your mental hangups are or the ideas you have. But for me, right there's, a, there's an idea that gets lodged in my brain all the time. And it's this idea that my value is connected or my, my, the value that I bring, like the, the things that I, I have, my, my sense of self-worth is connected to what I do. Right. And so that's just the way I'm wired. I, I've maybe been brought up that way, or maybe it's just kind of my, my personality, but I just have this sense that my value is connected to what I do. And, and the reason that that roadblock gets kind of stuck there is because I've, you know, lived in this culture that kind of prizes productivity, right? And, and you're rewarded if you kind of stay busy at work and you, you get promoted and, and you get accolades and that kind of reinforces this idea. But the problem is that roadblock, that way of thinking for me, it keeps me from resting. It keeps me from, uh, not fixing, you know, uh, not attaching worth to whether or not I'm productive, right? And I know that's a lie. I know, I know this idea is a lie in my head, but it doesn't, it doesn't stop me from believing it sometimes, right? Like, for example, I know that human beings have value regardless of what they do, right? I know that things have value based on what they do, like my car. If I totaled my car and it was no longer able to drive me anywhere, it would be worthless, right? And I know I'm not a car, right? I get that. I know that I have value outside of what I can do, right? But again, just because I know that up here doesn't sometimes stop me from sometimes going there mentally, right? I love what John Acuff says in his book, Soundtracks. He says that one of the greatest mistakes you can make in life is assuming all of your thoughts are true. So like when you're sitting there, or I'll lay laying it out there for you guys. Okay. When I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, I should be doing that. Well, you know, I've been sitting here for a half an hour. I really have that task I need to go do. Right. Um, and so I'm like, you know, I'm really just I, I need to go do that. So then, I instead of just resting, or instead of having a conversation with my girls, or, or whatever, like I might say, I need to go. I need to go do that because that's on my list of things I need to get done today, right? And that idea that that constantly gets reinforced in my own life um, stops me from some of those maybe those moments that God wanted me to have those slow down Sabbath moments, right? And so um, that's just one of many particular soundtracks or ideas or roadblocks that, that are laid across the path in your mind that keep you from having success or keep you from being the person God really wants you to be. I love what Pastor Craig Rochelle says. He says this, he says, a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. A lie doesn't have to be true to be powerful. Now, I think that is really profound. Think about that. A lie does not have to be true for it to be powerful. These lies that we think, these things, these soundtracks that are in our brain, these roadblocks that are kind of across our path, they're lies, right? We know they're not true, but that doesn't mean just because we might have, know that they're not true, that doesn't mean they don't have power over us. And so here's one of our foundational ideas for our series, behind every roadblock that we have in life is a lie. It's a lie that's been constructed. It's a lie that's been laid across the path. It's not true, but it still has power over us because we, as- we ascribe it the value of truth. We ascribe it the power that truth should have in our life. And so I'm going to ask you this on this journey in this series, what about you, what are those things that get you stuck? What are those ideas that you know aren't true, but you can't shake them? They just kind of stick there. Maybe they keep you from really taking risks. Maybe your, your soundtracks or maybe your roadblock is around you know, anxiety or risk-taking. Maybe, maybe it's just you know, you've, you've failed in the past and you just feel like, man, I can't take those steps because I, the pain of that failure is gonna come back and I don't wanna do that. I wanna avoid that at all costs right? These are things that, that constantly keep us, keep us stuck. But I got one more thing I want to say is, as far as introduction on this is sometimes the roadblocks are really, really hard to see because they're in our blind spots, we don't always notice them. We can't even fully identify them. Like mine today is pretty clear. I realize that's not true. And I need to just have a truth that count, contradicts that lie. And we're going to talk about that in this series. Um, but some of the roadblocks that we suffer from, some of the things that we bump into, we don't quite see. And And so what about the ones that are in our blind spots? How can we become more aware of those? And I want to kind of talk about that today a little bit. Uh, and I want to just kind of give you something to start with. I think that some of the roadblocks that we don't quite see clearly, we feel first. There's, there are things in our life that we just we, can, we, can, we sense aren't right, and we can't quite put a finger on why. We don't quite know why the marriage isn't where it could be. Or we don't quite know why we just feel, you know, insecure. We don't quite know why we have those kind of, you know, negative ideas about ourselves or, or, or constant anxiety that kind of hangs out there. And so we have an impression we feel a certain way, even if we can't fully identify why. And so I think that's going to be a powerful thing for us to talk about and to really ask the Holy Spirit to throw his light onto so that we can see more clearly the lies that we're believing, If even if they're kind of off the, to the side in our blind spot. We need the Lord's light to open up our eyes to the things that really are keeping us stuck. So, I want to address the skeptic in the room as we get started, right? I told you last week that I'm a little skeptical, right? I kind of wired to, is that true? Let me google that. You know, let me check that out. You know, that's just kind of my thought. And you might be sitting there this morning, you might you know what, Brad, I've kind of heard some of this before, you know, or I've been the same way for a long time, and I'm not 100% sure that I really can change. I'm really not sure about that. Um, I'm not really quite sure, you know, if how is this any different than maybe a motivational speaker, you know? Like, really, what's different about what you're saying? About You're talking about people getting unstuck and getting past a, a roadblock. But, but, you know, I, I just have some skepticism about that. And I want, to just, I, want to say, I want to acknowledge that, but I want to tell you something. Uh, if I weren't here to represent what Jesus Christ came to, to do for you, then I would agree with you. Yeah, there's probably not much changing that can happen. But I want to tell you something, and I want to tell you something we said last week, and I want to remind you of it today. Jesus is life's X factor, Jesus is the change agent. Jesus is the, is, the, is, the, uh, is the thing in the calculation that you maybe never counted on before. He's the one that can transform us. It's not Brad. It's not some new powerful thing. I'm going to, you know, seven secrets, pastor roadblock. Like that's not what we're going to be doing in this series. I'm going to connect you to the one who has the power to break the chains. And his name is Jesus. And he showed us that when he rose from the dead last week. Are you guys with me on this? This is how we're going to get past those roadblocks. We're going to apply what Jesus taught us, and we're going to move the needle. And so, and so I, want to, I want to begin today by reminding us of where we left, left off last week. And where we left off last week is that Jesus had just defeated the grave, and he is victory, victorious over death. And all these disciples who were afraid and who, who barely would leave the room before are now preaching the good news of Jesus. But right before there, I want to look at one more conversation that Jesus has with Peter. And Peter and Jesus are on a walk, and they're they're in the very location where Jesus first met Peter three years earlier. They're on the seashore of Galilee. And they're having a walk, and it's early in the morning. And Jesus has just told Peter that he would one day die because of, of his witness for Jesus. And about that time, Peter notices that, that John is walking behind them. And Peter does what any middle school boy does. Hey, what about him? <laughs> right? I just love Peter. He's, he's like a grown-up middle school kid. Most men really never get past middle school. We didn't know that. anyway. So Peter, Peter's like, well, what about him, Jesus? And here's what Jesus says. I like this. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? And then he says these powerful words that Jesus wants to say to every one of us you follow me. It says if Jesus grabs you by the shoulders and, he, and, and so with Peter, but I want you to put yourself there. And he puts his hands on your shoulders and he looks at you in the eye and he says, don't you worry about anybody else. I want you to follow me. Now, why am I bringing that up with the series on roadblocks? Because there is something foundational in our relationship with Jesus. And it's this, that Jesus is moving and he expects followers. That Jesus, the, the risen and living Jesus doesn't need a physical body to come into your life and change it, okay? Jesus, the living Jesus is still in the business of meeting people right where they are, transforming them by his love and taking them on a spiritual journey of transformation, That's who Jesus is, and that's what he does. And so Jesus knows he's about to ascend to be with his father, but he's expecting Peter to continue to follow him. So as we said a few weeks ago, to learn how to hear his voice. And so as we start this series on roadblocks, we're going to look for the master. We're going to look for the shepherd. We're going to look for the king to come into our life in a very personal way and look at you right in the face, eyeball to eyeball, and say, you follow me. You follow me in your marriage. You follow me in your job. You follow me in your anxiety. You follow me in your depression. You follow me in that negative belief. You follow me past that roadblock out to the other side. Jesus is the X factor. And I love this. Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verse 31. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So behind every roadblock is a lie, check this out, and behind every breakthrough is a truth. So what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at these lies that we believe, these, these repeating patterns, these, these ways of thinking, and we're going to say, okay, there's the lie. Sometimes it's going to need to be brought out from the darkness into the light, and then we're going to take the truth of God's word, and we're going to punch that lie in the face. You guys with me on that? We're going to defeat the lie with the truth. That's, 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 what we're going to do. We're going to replace what we've been thinking that that's been keeping us stuck. And we're going to replace that with truth. That's going to break us through. And that's what a Christian does. That's what someone who follows Jesus does. So I want to, I want to ask a question as, as we kind of think about that, how does this actually work? How does it work to, to hear the voice of Jesus and to f- experience that transformation? How does that actually work? And one of the things I really wanna do in this series is really work on being practical, like actually giving you homework to take home and put into practice on Monday. And so I I don't wanna spend our time on a lot of theory. I wanna really look at practice. Like how does this actually work? How does does following Jesus actually transform my life? And I wanna start, we're laying the foundation today. I wanna start by looking at, at a bad example. That's not, I think sometimes looking at good examples, you know, they're hard to relate to. Like, yeah, I wish I was Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water, but that's just not me. But that one's kind of a good example because he doesn't stay on the water, right? So kind of identify with that a little bit, right? Um, but maybe you're like, I'd never even get out of the water. I'd be like Thomas, like, I'm not even sure water exists right now, right? I don't know. <laughs> the point is, <laughs> poor Thomas. But the point is, is, you know, sometimes we learn more from the bad examples because we can relate there. Like, yeah, I'd probably do that. So I want to do that I want to look at a bad example today and see what maybe might have been had this person responded differently. If you have your Bible, go to John or Mark chapter 10, and I really want to encourage you church, to bring your Bible to church, um, to look at a physical copy of God's Word. We're always going to be in some kind of text that we're going to study through today. It's going to be in in Mark 10. And so I'll have it on the the screen here. But but like, just want to encourage you to be in God's word. We we had the word series this year. Um, Man, we've had a lot of cool series this year, right? The word series, the prayer series. I don't even know what uh, before that was. But anyway, here we go. I can't remember my own sermons. All right, here it is. Uh, It says, Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Okay, so I want you to really try to use your imagination and picture this. So here comes Jesus, he's walking along the way, and this man comes running up. It's like, man, where's the fire? You know, this guy's, this guy's something, something's really up with this guy. And he falls on his knees before Jesus. So I was just, uh, with the first service, I was like, just imagine going back in time. Like you got in a time, I don't know, capsule, and you went back in time. And you're like watching this. And you're watching this man. We know from, if we read the gospel of Luke, and we read Matthew, we get a little bit more, this is a young person. He's wealthy. He's, he's, he's a ruler of some kind. So he's an aristocrat. So he's a, a high, high birth, you know? And Jesus is just a rabbi, right? Jesus is, uh, I mean, we know he's much more than that. But for, for the people in that time, I mean, they wouldn't know that other than he's just a rabbi. But there is something about Jesus, People do know that. There's something about way he speaks. There's something about his authority. And so this young, rich man sees Jesus, and he runs up, and he just falls at his feet. And so that would be a little odd, I think. That that would be, you you might think, does that happen all the time? Peter's like, no, that doesn't happen all the time. You know? Um, This is a little odd, right? So this young man is at Jesus' feet. And so there's something pressing. And then he says, from that posture, he says, good teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, let's talk about his question for a second. He isn't asking, because we might think he's asking, how do I go to heaven when I die? That's not what he's asking. And no Jew um, from the first century would have been even thinking about that, right? This is kind of unfortunately what Christians think the purpose of Jesus coming. Jesus, different topic for a different day, but that's not why he came to take us to heaven, right? Jesus is bringing God's kingdom to earth, Okay. So anyway, he's, he's thinking Jewish. He's thinking when the kingdom of God comes, I want to be a part of that kingdom. I want to have a stake in that inheritance. How can I make sure I'm a part of that inheritance? That's what he's saying. So what must I do? Really important. He's asking for an action step. What must I do so that I can be a part of that eternal inheritance? And then Jesus kind of corrects him right away. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now, you might get thrown off by that. Jesus isn't denying that he's good, but he's trying to remind this young man who we're going to find out in a minute thinks he's pretty good, (laughs) that there's really only one that's good. That human goodness is relative, honestly, right? I mean, we're kind of like relatively good, right? God is the absolute goodness, And the law of Moses points out the absolute goodness of God and how far we fall short from the law, right? And so he kind of first starts that way, which is kind of a rebuff. This young man has ran up to Jesus. He's on his feet. And Jesus kind of, he doesn't take the flattery of the address, good master. He doesn't buy into that flattery. He deflects it immediately back to God and he kind of corrects him. No one is good except God. Then he goes to the next. He says, you know the commands. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So what Jesus responds is a a point back to Moses, specifically to the Ten Commandments, But he doesn't quote the first half. He quotes the second half. And then he adds, Jesus adds one commandment to the 10, this do not defraud. It's interesting he does that. So he's basically talking to this young man. And he's saying, listen, there's the law. You know the law. You know the commands. You know what's expected. If you want inheritance, there's there's the path, right? Look at Moses. Follow the law. And so, but then he adds this thing about defrauding, which I think I'm going to circle back to in a second. But here's what's fascinating. The young man's response is really interesting. He says, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. Now, he isn't claiming that he's sinless, right? That's not what he's saying. He's like, I'm perfect. (laughs) I've never dishonored my parents, right? No, that's not what he's saying, right? What he's saying is, I'm a Jew in good standing. I have a clear conscience. I, 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 I have kept the law as faithfully as a Jew can. And, and obviously, if there was an infraction, I was a part of the sacrificial system. I would do my, you know, bring my sacrifice to the temple. I mean, I'm a Jew in good standing. If that's, if that's what it is, I, I'm there. So here's my question to this young man. So why are you here? See, here, here's what I want to point out. Remember I told you that some roadblocks are in our blind spots and sometimes we can't see them, but we can feel them first. I think the the young man has felt something, and he doesn't know what it is he's feeling. He just knows it's there. There's this this discontentedness. There's this sense of something not right. There's something that Moses' law and all of my attempts to try to faithfully follow it still isn't providing to me, and he can't put his finger on it. And I think he sees Jesus as this, you know, unique rabbi. Uh, Maybe he's more and we know he is more, right? But he sees Jesus as maybe you can help solve this problem that I have. How many of us come to Jesus on that basic pretext? Jesus, can you solve my problem? Yeah. He can, but sometimes you don't like the way he does it, right? (laughs) Let's look at what happens. So so. This this interaction's happened. If the young man has been blameless since childhood, why is he feeling the need to be at Jesus' feet, right? And so now the next part of this story is so profound and so beautiful. In Mark 10, 21, man, if you take this home, this will be enough. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. I was studying this a little bit with the commentators today, and in the Greek, this idea of looking and loving, they said there's something in the Greek that implies a gesture. It's not just that Jesus kind of glances and loves him, but the way that he knew Jesus was loving him had something to do with Jesus' gesture toward him. It could have been a hug. It could have been a hand on the shoulder. It could have been just some action, some movement that communicates what What I'm about to do is coming out of deep love for you. Guys, I want you just to put yourself there for just a second. Knowing what we all know now about who Jesus really was, if that Messiah, that crucified Messiah with those nails, prints in his hands, comes to you and you end up in a situation where he's got his hand right on your shoulder, and he's looking at you deep in the eyes. And he says, what, let me say this, whatever he says next, you and I just need to say, yes, sir. Right? Like, that's the only answer here, right? That is the only appropriate response. I mean, Jesus, the son of God, the one who gave his life on the cross and defeated death, has a personal word for you. And it's coming out of this Ocean of love for you, right? There's not a bit of manipulation. There's not a bit of, you know, some, some like ulterior motive, right? This is pure love. And he's going to talk to you. And then the next words, one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. you you have treasure in heaven? That inheritance you're looking for Follow me. You see, both the young man and Jesus knew there was something missing. Doing what the law required wasn't enough. And the young man couldn't put his finger on it, so Jesus did. I know you can't put your finger on why you're feeling like there's something missing. I'm going to put my finger on it for you. Your problem is money, your problem is that your security blanket is your bank account. Your problem is the thing that you really are serving isn't God. Yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of keeping the law, but that's only kind of halfway down, right? What all, What's required all the way down to your core is that you'll love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul. Notice that Jesus didn't quote the first part of the Mosaic Law, the first part of the Ten commandments. He left out, thou shalt have no other God before me, because the young man had another God before him, and that was money. And so that young man might not have been able to see that money was his God, but Jesus could see it, and he put his finger right on it. Remember, the young man wants something to do. So Jesus gave him something to do. Have an estate sale. (laughs) Start selling everything. It's all all for sale. And I'm going to have a good time giving money away to the poor. And I'm going to follow Jesus. Now, I told you this was a bad example, right? Right? Because of what, guy, what happens next in our story, and most of you know the story. At this, the young man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. You know, most people d- didn't leave Jesus sad. Most people led- left Jesus Rejoicing, right? Their, their lame legs are now working. Their blind eyes are now seen, right? Their dead relatives alive. Like most people, when they left Jesus or if they left Jesus, it was like to go tell their friends, let me show you a guy who knows everything about me. Like this could be the Messiah, right? Most people left Jesus happy and rejoicing. This man leaves Jesus sad. Why? Here's something else. This man leaves Jesus unhealed he still leaves with his problem. He still leaves with the issue he brought to Jesus in in the first place. Guys, can I say this to you? If God can't touch it, he can't transform it. If you won't let him touch it, he can't heal it. That's the problem. This man, when Jesus put his finger right on that issue, the guy was like, no, you can't touch that. And if God can't touch it, he can't transform it. You have a blind spot. You have a, you have a roadblock. You have a pattern of thinking. Here's the thing. Jesus is going to love you enough to tell you the truth. But here's the, also the other part of that. If you aren't willing to let him touch it, he can't transform it. There has to be no, we have to have the kind of posture with Jesus that we don't use him as the great suggester, but as the great king. He can't just be someone who gives us like good ideas and good advice. He gives us commands that we follow. Guys, Jesus didn't come to be your coach. He came to be your king. So stop treating him like he's, like he's optional. Like if Jesus says, hey, I can tell you there's something that's keeping you from the kingdom. It's this. And he puts his finger on it. Say, yes, Lord, thank you for opening my eyes. Where do I get rid of whatever it was so I can follow you? That's the idea. He loves us too much to leave us stuck in those roadblocks. He will try to touch those areas of our life. For you, I don't know what yours is right? It might be money. And we're going to talk about money in this because it's a big one for a lot of us. There's a lot of lies that we believe about money. There's a lot of ideas we have about what money is supposed to do for us. And honestly, truly, it becomes a giant roadblock in our faith. It becomes a giant substitute for dependence on God, the way we treat money. But for others, it could be our relationship. It could be something we just know isn't good for us, right? We know this relationship's not any good for us, But yet, we just feel like, you know what? I just can't give that up, right? And the Spirit's tried to touch it a few times to transform that area in your life that needs so much transformation. But you're just unwilling to let Him touch it. You're like, Lord, I'll take care of the relationship area of my life. You know, I'll let you have other areas, but but when it comes to my romantic life or it comes to this part of my life, like, Lord, that's just my, I'm gonna keep kind of walking in my own wisdom, right? Because it's going really well, by the way, right? That's just working out so great for me. And the Spirit's like, let me have it. Because if I can touch it, I can transform it. If you stop keeping that out of my reach, see what I do when you hand it to me. Would you just trust me? Do you want to read about frustrated Jesus? There's a passage. I call it frustrated Jesus. You ever met frustrated Jesus? (laughs) Sometimes when I was a high school teacher, you know, I'd get in those, like, I'm just frustrated right now with these kids, (laughs) you know, like, Brad, uh, or Mr. Blakely, are are you in a bad mood? No, I am not in a bad mood, okay? (laughs) You guys are just driving me crazy, (laughs) right? I think this is Jesus. I think this is frustrated Jesus, John chapter 8. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? Like, Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth, right? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are children of your father, the devil. Like, he is frustrated, right? And you love the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of it. Or, father of lies. So, when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? Answer no one. And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? See, what Jesus is saying, he's frustrated. He's like, listen, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you, your God is, the, is your bank account. So get rid of the bank account. It's a lot more important that you get rid of the bank account so you can follow me, then you can die and go to hell without, the, with that bank account. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I'm trying to tell you the truth. Let me transform you. Let me touch that place. Don't keep me away. Let me break through that roadblock with the power of truth. I don't want to let you continue to be my coach, Jesus. I want you to be my king. Man, let me say this to you. This is the kind of series that needs to get really personal because I can only come up with a few examples. This is where you have to say, okay, Lord, Where's my blind spot? Maybe you get a a friend, a spouse, or someone. Hey, what are some areas where you feel like I'm really, like, you hear me say things. I'm not even hearing me say them because I say them all the time. And now you're like, hey, Brad, I noticed you say this a lot. Do you really believe that? Or maybe there's just this area in your life where you just feel just like discontentment. Like why am I so discontented? Why can't I ever seem to like get to that place? Or or maybe yours is man. I just I feel like my peace in life is contingent upon if things are going well. So that's really terrible because many times things don't go well, and then they go okay, and then they don't go well again. So I have peace, and then I don't have peace, and then I have peace. Right? Like I, that is not the life of a Jesus follower. The life of a Jesus follower is somebody who should have peace that passes understanding that has contentment, whether I have a lot or I have little. But see, we live just like the rest of the world because we're not letting Jesus be our king. We're treating him like our coach. We're getting advice instead of commands. We have areas of our life that he just won't, we're not allowing him to touch, and so they stay untransformed. John Acuff, he says this in that book, Soundtracks. And I'm gonna refer to a few of these books during our series. I really want you to look at them. But he says, he says the antidote to overthinking is not more thinking, it's action. He says the the overthinking loop is something that just like I start to think about it and then I'm not, not sure about that. So I think about it some more. He says this overthinking leads to a lack of action. A lack of action leads to overthinking. How about this, church? How about rather than just thinking about what Jesus says, we start doing what Jesus says? How about that? Right? Here's the, here's the rich young ruler. So Jesus is saying I should sell everything and follow him. Let me You know, let me think about that for a little while. Right? How about, how about instead of overthinking, we just realize that Jesus loves us like nobody else. And if Jesus is telling us to do something, it's because he has our best interest in mind. He's trying to rescue us from ourselves. You know, guys. Sometimes, when we think about our lives, and we know there are things that are just broken, we know it, and we don't like to think about it. Can I just be real honest? We know that we're just discontented. We know that our jobs just are just sources of just you know either anxiety or we just feel like oh, I hate this job. I just hate what I have to, you know, or this relationship is just so, you know, it, it, it used to be really exciting. It used to be really fulfilling, but now it's just so blah. It's just so meh. You know, I'm just not in a place where I just feel enthusiastic about my spouse or, or maybe my kids are just, you know, they're up and down and I'm just, I'm just in, a, in a bad spot even with my kids or whatever those are. Guys, let me tell you what we do. Instead of bringing those to Jesus, instead of letting the feelings be the warning signal that something's not right, what we do, what I do, is we just cope with it. We numb those feelings. We figure ways to distract us. We, maybe we watch too much TV, or we, we kind of just zone out, or maybe we do things that are even more destructive, like we drink too much, we look at pornography. Whatever we do, to try to numb those feelings, because we know things aren't right. And what I'm going to ask us to do in this series is to come out from those fig leaves, those, those trees that we hide behind, like in the Garden of Eden, and, and to come out and say, Jesus, I do feel this sense of brokenness. And I do believe you are, you are life's X factor. I believe that you have the power to transform me. And God, I want to just come to you. and I want, I want to ask you, and I want, to, I want to live this life of surrender to you, and I want you to transform me. I want to end with this last passage. It's in Romans 12. It's one many of you know, but I want you to hear it maybe different today. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. This is the lies of the enemy that have just, you know, just just developed these patterns. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Think about this, guys the assumption in this text is that the pattern of this world that we've been taught our whole life will be transformed by Jesus. Are we being transformed by Jesus? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us? Or are we having these places that are off limits? These, you know, do not enter signs that we hang on the doors and we don't let the Holy Spirit in those areas. Behind every roadblock is a lie, and behind every breakthrough is a truth. As true as those statements are, we might not leave Jesus changed. We might walk away like a rich young ruler 2,000 years ago, holding on to that which he cannot keep and leaving what he could have been given that he would never lose. Jesus said it this way. Gain the whole world, but you lose your soul. What would you give in exchange for your soul? I love this from the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus blessing the poor, Blessing the meek, blessing all the people who others would overlook. And then in that same sermon, he says, Ah, oh, the lily of the fields that are today alive and tomorrow gone. The birds of the, of the air have more food than they, they need. He says, Won't the Lord, won't the Father, won't your Father in heaven take care of you? Of course he will. Guys, can we just stand together as we just let the Holy Spirit do some deep work? The question that is before you and I this morning is this. Are we gonna take Jesus seriously? Are we gonna be people who look at Jesus as a king, not a coach? Someone who gives commands and not suggestions? Are we gonna give him permission to touch what he wants to transform? Are we gonna let him break through our roadblocks? Father, I'm praying that your Holy Spirit would do a deep work in this series. As we talk about different areas in our life where these potential roadblocks exist, that we would let you do transformative work. As we talk about our relationships and we talk about just our relationship with money, our relationship with ourselves, the things we say to ourselves and believe about ourselves, God, would you just break those chains? Would you help us to actually believe what you say? Father, I pray for deep, transformative work to happen in this place and in our church, that we would be a people that truly take you seriously. As Emma started our service out, just saying yes. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you have never entered a spiritual relationship with Jesus, I wanna give you that opportunity right now, right where you stand And that that means this, that means you come to Jesus, the living Jesus who doesn't need a physical body to impact you. He can impact you right now as you surrender to him. And so what you do is you come to Jesus and you come in prayer and you just say, Jesus, I want you to be my king. Maybe you've never done that before, but right where you stand, you, you say to Jesus, God, I want you to forgive me. I know I've just called the shots and I've ran my own life and I want you to transform me. I want you to forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe there's hope in Jesus. I want that hope. Please take me as one of your children. Please make me your own. And right where you stand, you could cry out to Jesus and you could pray to Jesus and receive him as your king. And next week, church, we are having a baptism. And if you've never been baptized, I wanna encourage you to get baptized next Sunday, publicly declaring to everybody, including the spiritual powers, that you belong to King Jesus. Father, I'm praying that our church would be a church that takes you seriously. God, I'm praying that we'd have more and more people gathering early on Sunday mornings to pray in this room or hanging out later after church, to pray and to re- rejoice for what you've done. I'm praying that our church would bind together more and more and more and use the weapons that you've given to us, the weapons of truth that are in scripture to defeat those lies of the enemy and to set people free. God, I'm praying for our neighborhood. I'm praying for our city. I'm praying for people that have been caught in chains, that we as the church of Jesus would bring the good news of Jesus and the truth that he has to set the captives free, Lord. I'm praying that Henderson would be set free. I'm praying that people who are just in chains of anxiety and depression could find hope and healing, that their minds would no longer be captives to the lives of the enemy, that they believe that they have worth and that Jesus has died for them and that they are willing and that he is willing and ready to adopt them into their family. God, I'm praying for that message to get to our whole town. I'm praying that we would see people set free by the good news of Jesus. And so Lord, I pray, I pray for our church as we go on this journey that we would listen well to the spirit and we would be set free. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.